we come to uh, Psalm uh, 117, and I'm thankful to be able to say I got my printer working, and I uh, we're back in in the saddle in that way. And so, um, Psalm 117, a famous psalm for its brevity, only two verses, and it's the shortest chapter uh, in the Bible. And uh, I think as well, it's the actual middle chapter of the Bible as well. If you look at the Bible, it may not, you know, it kind of does look like it's in the, in the geographical middle as well. But it is the middle uh, chapter uh, in the Bible. And it's, the other thing is that it's next, next door neighbor to uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 100. And 19. I'm going to go on all night just like this. <laughs> but no. <laughs> the psalm 117. It is a very short uh, uh, psalm uh, for sure. But uh, as many commentators have said, it is packed full of great riches. There's so much. Each word is heavily weighted. And there is indeed a lot for us to consider. And so the challenge is uh, uh, to see if we can match the the uh, length of the sermon to be uh, correspond with the with the psalm itself. Uh, so he says, "Praise the Lord, all nations; extol Him, all peoples, for great is the steadfast great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever." Praise the Lord. The other remarkable thing uh, about this psalm is that though it is the shortest in the Bible, and certainly this, the shortest in the Old Testament, Paul in the New Testament uh, quotes from it. Uh, Paul uh, quotes this uh, chapter, this uh, psalm, as he is uh, thinking about the inclusion of the Gentiles. That, that is you and I into the plan of God into God's work, into God's salvation. And so Paul, he goes back into the Old Testament, he takes the smallest uh, psalm, and he says that even the smallest psalm, even the shortest psalm in the Bible, uh, gives attention to what I'm saying here in Romans 15, about the inclusion of the Gentiles. And of course, in Rome, there was a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And they had uh, some controversy over uh, uh, what should be done, what practices should uh, um, they hold to, and so on. How much should the, uh, uh, the Jews in the church accept the Gentiles? And Paul, in that chapter, uh, goes on at great length. And as Paul read it for us there, you could see the different quotations that Paul uh, calls from the Old Testament, not just Psalm 117, but from many other places, speaking about the inclusion of the Gentiles, which really speaks to us of the inspiration of God's Word. The Jews were very nationalistic, weren't they? They didn't really want to have much to do with the Gentiles. Even Peter himself uh, had to be kind of dragged kicking and screaming into the the house of Cornelius uh, to have fellowship. And when he came back, people were kind of aghast that he, he actually did that. 
And uh, so the early church, even though they were full of the Holy Spirit, and even though they were guided by God's Spirit, and uh, they had undergone a great transformation, yet that very fact of having fellowship with the Gentiles, and that God would include the Gentiles simply by faith, and not on the basis of any work that they would do, was something that really took them a long time to work through. And yet, this was God's plan. And uh, how people couldn't see it is, is uh, uh, difficult to know. But as we were seeing this morning, we cannot judge people, we can't judge the Jews uh, for not seeing things they should see because we oftentimes are guilty of it our, ourselves. We're guilty of selective hearing and selective seeing, selective understanding, and we only choose the bits that we like. And uh, we, we kind of set aside the unpalatable parts. And so that, the fact that Paul, in establishing his case, quotes from this little psalm, this very short psalm of two verses, uh, again, lends great weight to the fact that though it is small, it packs a punch, and it has much to say to us. Martin Luther said that this is a prophecy concerning Christ, that all peoples out of all kingdoms and islands shall know Christ in His kingdom and in His church. So that is uh, uh, how Martin Luther felt about this psalm. He first starts off by saying, Praise the Lord, all nations. As one commentator said that this is the shortest psalm, but it is long enough to show that there is one great object of worship for all men. And this is three times affirmed in uh, this psalm. Praise the Lord, extol Him all peoples, and then finally, praise the Lord. Two short verses, and yet the theme is uh, very evident and clear to see. And it's something that we need to be careful of because it becomes like white noise to us after a while. You know, the fan that's running in your room or the noise of the cars going by or the water lapping up on the shore. You don't hear it after a while. And, and, and that's a tragedy for the people of God. It's a tragedy for us because that's why we're here tonight. We're here to praise God. That is why we've been created. And if we start to slip and lose the sense of the wonder of that, we're really in a bad place. We're in a real bad predicament. And so, even in this short psalm, three times uh, he repeats that idea of praising, extolling, and praising the Lord. And uh, such is the uh, sense of urgency that God has for uh, His people, that they be the people of God they were meant to be. So it's a command for all. It's not just a command for, for Jews. It's a command for all people. And that's, that's who he is addressing. The, the nation of Israel could not forget that they were but a conduit. Uh, that they were but, but a channel of God bringing His glory to the nations. That's always the way it was. And when Israel forgot that, that's when they got into trouble. When they forgot that they weren't the be-all and end-all. That they were there not for themselves, but for the nations. They were there to serve the nations. Just as we were kind of struggling to see this morning, you know, what was James and John's crime? What was their, uh, um, what was their uh, a mistake? 
but to see that the kingdom was there for them. That their highest priority was to get on the right and to the left hand of Jesus. That was their pressing need. Rather than responding to God's grace and mercy and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And let me leave all the glory and appointments to you. Let me then ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? Or like the psalmist, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his uh, favor toward me? That is the real cry of the, 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 the people of God. And that's what Israel we're supposed to do, and that's what we are supposed to uh, be like as well. We too are not here for ourselves. The buck doesn't stop with us. It, it continues on. The, 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 that stream of God's love and grace flows through us, flows through the church. As Paul says uh, elsewhere, he says that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the world through the church through the church. And so it, it is flowing out through us. What a wonderful thing to uh, be used of God in that way, to serve God in that way. And how does He do it? How does He cause it to flow out through us? Well, one of the things is just what we're doing here tonight. Gathering as God's people, regardless of the fact that we might want to be somewhere else or do something else, but that we are ensuring that we are honoring the Lord in all of our choices, that we are praying, that we are setting that time aside in our day to pray, to give, to give of our resources for Bible distribution, for Bible translation, for Bible teachers, for Bible colleges, for missionaries. We're finding out what's going on in Open Doors, in Voice of the Martyrs. We're finding out what's going on in church missions around the world. This is all part of the mandate that God has given to us on behalf of the nations. That's our responsibility, isn't it? And we can't fall into the trap of James and John who said, Let's, let me start to think of how I can profit, how I can be more blessed myself and forget about those next to me. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to give His life a ransom for many. And we emulate that, not by the fact that our blood atones for sin, but that through our suffering and joining with Jesus, through denying ourselves, that God's glory is made manifest to the world around us. And so that was true even... Uh, in the Old Testament, it was not something that was simply waiting for a New Testament ex expression. We find that even in the Old Testament, Gentiles joined with the people of God. And some uh, uh, noted people were people like Ruth, who was a Moabite. Uh, or Naaman the Syrian. He was a Syrian general. Uh, he was an idol worshiper, and yet he, he came in. But there were many other people like that. And these people were a tantalizing uh, uh, um, uh, 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 group of, of people that, that, that really showed the people of God that the Gentiles were going to be brought in. Uh, they were a, an example of what God was going to do worldwide. And so He did. And here with this very nationalistic group of Jews, God fills the Bible with 
prophecies that the Gentiles would come in. And that's, that again, friends, speaks to us of the fact that this is the Word of God. That though it was delivered to these Jews, the Jews didn't say, well, I'll, scr I'll scratch that part out because we don't like Gentiles and we'll overlook this part. No, they, they wrote it. This is what the Lord says. And that's uh, uh, marvelous. And so in the New Testament, the Gentiles join in their praises uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians that we're going to look at on Tuesday night, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the calling of Israel was for the sake of the whole world. And your calling and my calling is of the same nature. And that begs the question then, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Surely there's no... Uh, uh, um, there's no uh, uh, less opportunity for us. There's no shortage of opportunity for us as we have been hearing from mission organizations and people that we can give to or pray for and so on. So there's much opportunity, isn't there, uh, in, in which we can engage in that way so that the, the, uh, uh, the, the cry of the psalmist here is realized, praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. One person has written that next to the resurrection of Christ, the conversion of the Gentiles was one of the most important and glorious events that has happened in the latter days. And by the latter days, we mean the, since the first coming of Jesus to the present. That we are in the latter days. That's what, that's what the Bible calls the latter days. And after the resurrection of Jesus, says this commentator, the calling of the Gentiles which is like a life from the dead, which is like a resurrection, is one of the greatest events in the latter days. And the prophets and the Psalms pointed forward to that. And we are in the midst of it. And the problem is, being in the midst of something, you, be, you kind of get used to it. You don't see what the, the big deal is. Just like people coming to PEI. I remember when I was young, my cousins would come home from away, and they would come from Toronto or Buffalo or wherever they came from. And uh, they, they would just be dying to get to PEI. And I'd be looking around and say, why would you be dying to come to PEI? Who would want to come to PEI? I mean, how boring. You live in Toronto. The CN Tower is in Toronto. Uh, Canada's Wonderland is in Toronto. Uh, why would you want to come to boring old PEI on a vacation? All we have is fields and pastures and, you know, beaches. Yeah, so what? No big deal. And... It's because when you live here, and when you're here all the time, you fail to appreciate what you have. And that is accentuated all the more when it comes to the, the, the blessings and riches of the kingdom. Just like it took the Queen of Sheba to come up from the south and say to Solomon and, and Solomon's people, how blessed are you that you have such a king over you. Blessed be the God of Israel. And she was able to see things from her own perspective, from, from an outsider's perspective, and remind the people of Israel how blessed they really were. And no doubt they were thinking, well, uh, we never really saw it in that way. And they needed to be constantly reminded. And so the calling of the Gentiles 
uh, is one of those great events. And I, it never struck me until I read that sentence this week. After the resurrection of Jesus, that the calling of the Gentiles is one of the greatest events of the latter days. Isn't that wonderful? And we see it going on all around the world. We see people getting saved. We see it going on in Nepal and Iran and China. We see it going on in Africa. We see it going on in, in, even in Canada and in the United States. And there are places where people are still getting saved. We're seeing it even within our own church where young people are coming to faith and, and believing on the Lord Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. It's life from the dead. And that's why Paul quotes this little psalm in Romans 15. Because it reveals God's wonderful plan for uh, the Gentiles. And that would be something that would stick in the mind of a Jew, wouldn't it? They, they, they themselves would know that the shortest chapter that they know is Psalm 117. And uh, they, they would be reminded, look, even this short little chapter of two verses is proving my point. And Paul uses that to do that, to drive that home into the, in their conscience. That the beloved Psalms, which they sing, which they learn, which they memorize from childhood, um, speaks of the coming of uh, the salvation of God to the Gentiles. And so he calls them to praise. He calls us to mission. But then, he informs the content of that. Why? Why should I praise God? Here I am living in this country or that country. I've never heard the name of Jesus. And you're telling me to praise, God, praise the Lord all nations, extol Him all peoples. Well, you sound pretty excited. Why is it that I should do uh, these things which you're so adamant about? And every psalm tells us why. It doesn't, it's not simply enough to say, praise Him. And it's not simply good enough for us to be called together to worship on, on Sunday. But we ask ourselves, why? Why are you going to the house of God? And it was always the way in ancient Israel. When your children ask you, why do you do these things? You shall say to them, we were slaves in Egypt. But God had mercy on us. He brought us up out of that horrible land and He brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. So there's always a reason. When your children ask, say this. What would you say if your children or grandchildren or your neighbors say, why do you go to the church all the time? I mean, you go, you go once to church, that, well, that's, that's enough. Why do you go to church twice? What the, what's the big deal with you in church? Or why are you willing to lose your job over it? Or why are you willing to give up, you know, a, a great day in the golf course? Or this, what, what is it? Now, what would you say? Well, we always went to church. Okay, that's a good, that's a good start. <laughs> but what would you say? Would you be honest? What answer would you give? Well, my family belonged to that disabled free church. And we always go. And the ministers always make, you know, running a guilt trip on us if we don't go to sun, church on Sunday night, so we go. <laughs> or, you know, you might say something like those things. No, I know, I'm sure you wouldn't. But 
what would be your answer. Answer honestly. If I were put in a situation at work or at school or wherever it is, say, why do you go to church? Now the answer is important. And the answer that the psalmist gives here is important. He doesn't say praise, you know, praise the Lord all nations, extol them all peoples, because it's just such a great thing to do. It gives structure to your life. A lot of socialization goes on at church. You know, and there's, sometimes there's a potluck after church. And the things, you know, it, it's kind of cool being at church and you make great connections with people. And you might meet a future husband or a wife there and you never know what can happen at church. It's the psalmist is unequivocal in the reasons that he gives. For great is his steadfast love toward us. He's saying that to the nations. He's going out to a people who have never heard of the God of Israel. He's going out and he's, they're saying to them, this is why you should leave your golden temples. This is why you should risk life and limb as many believers are called to do today. To leave and, and risk being killed by your family. Not, not just... A, not just the society around you, but even your family. Why are they doing it? Why are they risking life and limb? Because they come to know that great is His steadfast love. That they've never met a God like the God of Israel. They've never met a Savior like Jesus Christ. He makes sense. He is truth. He makes sense of the universe. Says, Where do I go with my guilty conscience? And many religions have tried to answer that question and, and it's, it doesn't get them anywhere. And when they come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, they now know that God, the Maker of heaven and earth, has provided a way for me to have my sins washed away, my guilty conscience dealt with, my past and all the things that I've done wiped, up, wiped away. Great is His steadfast love. The nations need to know what it is. Your friends, your, the, 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 the inquirers who say to you, why do you go to church? Are you ready with the answer because great is His steadfast love? That God so loved me that He gave His only begotten Son. That if I believe in Him, I would not perish. You realize that you were going to hell if it weren't for Jesus. And out of that comes this, this proclamation, this testimony, this confession. That great is His steadfast love toward us. I hope that that's what you would say. I hope that's what I would say if I was put in that particular... Why do, you, why do you go to church every Sunday? Surely you can take a Sunday off. Do something else. And plus there's that job. You know, why, why are you making such a big deal of it? Why are you making sacrifices in your life for it? Why do you give so much money to your church? Why do you give so much money to organizations? That, why is it? Because great is His steadfast love. It all comes back to Jesus. I am the God who brought you out of the, 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 house, the, the land of bondage. I am the God who delivered you out of 
uh, uh, the land of Egypt. You see? And how did he do it? <laughs> Through the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb and the doorposts. God says, do that first and then come out. And when your children ask, why? You say, because we were slaves in Egypt. And Egypt is a picture of bondage. Egypt is a picture of, of, of imprisonment. And that's why Jesus said this morning in this morning's text that the Son of Man has come to give His life a ransom. That's, that's Exodus language. That's Old Testament language. That's language that connects the dots right back to the Exodus. And so our confession is because great is His steadfast love. Because I have never seen love greater in any human depiction. No human being could ever demonstrate to me the love that God has shown on the cross of Jesus Christ. One commentator, William Plummer, said, nothing has ever molded the hearts and minds of the nations of the earth like the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is unchangeable in its promises and principles. We have something that we need not be ashamed of with which to call the nations, to call the people. We have something with which to be motivated and go out because what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God and so we are. That's why this, the, 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 the psalmist calls people to praise the Lord and extol Him all peoples unashamedly. Paul says, I am ready. I am ready to preach the Gospel in Rome also. I am not ashamed of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What resolve? He's going into the very epicenter. He's going into the belly of the beast. The Roman Empire. I am ready to preach the Gospel in Rome. How is he ready? Intellectually? No, that's part of it. But he was ready in his heart. His heart was overflowing. Great is His love toward us. Woe is me if I preach not the Gospel. That's how Paul felt. And he, he knows that this is what's going to open up the nations. This is, what's, this is why he's not ashamed. Not ashamed of the Gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. His steadfast love. And so Psalm 85 says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. His love is great. This was the testimony of God's people even before Jesus came. How much more now that He has, he has arrived? David says in the book of uh, first book of Chronicles, he says, let me fall into the hands of the Lord for His mercy is very great. Micah says, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over uh, the uh, transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? Who is a God like you? And that should have been driving it, the Israelites into the world to be a light to the nations, but they failed in that mandate. But now Paul says through Christ, 
The new Israel has been constituted, called the church, and she has been given the mandate to go out, eat, to call even the Israelites, even the Jews. Isn't it remarkable how it goes? The Jews were called to be that light to the nations. They failed. God now constitutes the new Israel, the, the church of God, which is the Israel of God. But now, it is that institution, it is the body of Christ that goes back to the physical descendants of Abraham today in Israel, in London, in Glasgow, in Australia, wherever the Jews are found, in New York City, and says, do you know that your Messiah has come? And that He has expressed His great steadfast love by dying on a cross? That Isaiah 53, the greatest chapter in the Old Testament, has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ? This is... This is the message that they are to hear and to receive. It's, a, it's an invitation with content. It's an invitation with power. It's an invitation that melts the heart because it speaks of God's love. Even in the wreckage of fallen Israel, Jake, Jeremiah is still able in, in, in uh, the book of Lamentations to declare God's love. Ezra says, after all this has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, our God, You have punished us less than our iniquities deserved. This is the testimony of the saint of God. Great is His steadfast love toward us. What motivates us? What drives us? What takes us to church? What, what, what is the reason that God gives us for the hope that lies within us. Paul says, be prepared, or rather, Peter rather, he says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. And we're called here to call the nations to worship, to evangelize, to invite friends to church. Why? Why should I go to church with you? You want to hear of the greatest love that the world has ever known? That's, that's our invitation for them to come. And we, we have to give it content. Not just you should go to church. Oh, you should get to church. Look at you. You should get to church. Put some structure in your life. You gotta get, you'll get a little religion in your life. No. You say, because every week we celebrate God's love for us. His unconditional love. And you share what God did in your life. You say, I, I am a hopeless, wretched sinner. I know I have no hope of heaven, but... I know when I sit under the message of the Gospel, I have hope every week. I have hope to go on. I have courage to know that not only will God help me day by day, but He offers to me eternal life which I, which I cannot lose. And he, will, he loves me unconditionally. Friends, we've got to rev it up. <laughs> by that. In a sense that we've got to stop operating at a very human level. As if we are calling, inviting people to the Kiwanis Club or something. But to say, look, no, this is, this is the greatest news that has ever been told. This is the greatest love that has ever been seen. Great is His love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Great is His faithfulness. 
That again is part of the invitation. God is faithful. God will be faithful to you, friend. There's all pe- people can be unfaithful. Our families, our bosses. Nothing is for sure in this life. You can say to them, you know, look, look at what we've gone through in the last year and a half, friend. The uncertainties of life. But you know what never changes? God's faithfulness, God's promises. And let me show you. I can go show you, take you back into the, some of these prophecies in the Old Testament. You say, do you see how God was faithful to His people? There in Isaiah 53, where it talks about the, the life and death of Jesus Christ in such rich detail. And do you know that eight centuries later, God was faithful to His promise and made that come true through Jesus on the cross? It, God is faithful. And friend, He will not give up on you. He didn't give up on His people. Great is His faithfulness. And so it is because God is is a faithful God, one who does not lie, that uh, he, 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 He is able to bring to fulfillment all that He said He would do. And you're able to say, friend, it's not dependent upon you. God, God will keep you. God will protect you. Because He is faithful. And so, we have then, in this short psalm, a mandate for us. A call that the nations would praise the Lord and extol Him. It gives us a mandate, but it fills it with content. The mercy, the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus in overflowing measure so that the angels of God cannot get it through their heads. They can't believe what God has done. And so they cry, holy, 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 we can't stop. It's just new every day. It's just an amazing revelation to us. Even though they are perfect beings with perfect understanding, yet they are continually amazed by the, the love of God. And, and we have content to our message and to our call that God, is, His love is, is great and His faithfulness endures forever. And finally, He ends with, praise the Lord. <laughs> and so we have in this very short psalm uh, a wonderful instruction for us. It, it, it puts us at the very place where we need to be. It gives us great perspective. It opens our eyes. It throws water in our face to say, this is who we are. This is our mandate. This is why I am a Christian. And this is why I want other people to be Christians as well. For great is His love and His faithfulness endures forever. Let's pray.